Welcome to Snapchats with my younger self. My name is Monique Callender, and I am the younger self. And I'm Karen Thomas, and I put a little snap in our chat. You are now listening to an intergenerational advice show, or Wisdom for the Ages. (laughs) So what we talking about today? You know, we've been on a little hiatus. Summer's been good. What do you want to talk about today, younger self? Well, (laughs) Karen, I'm so glad that you asked. Um, today I want to talk about runaways, being a runaway. Ooh, this sounds like some Harriet Tubman stuff. (laughs) Do you have any experience with being a runaway, Karen? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, some I want to talk about and some I don't. Uh Uh-huh. But here we are in Paris, you know, uh, younger self, uh, in Paris, which, um, I'm here because I want to run away from working initially, (laughs) right? So this was my retirement plan to run away, you know, to the most amazing city. And how about you, um, Miss Younger Self? Well, you know what? It's so funny because um, I've been telling everybody that I came to Paris for a variety of reasons, and some of them were political. Um, And there is this great book that I just discovered, actually, thanks to you. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. By by, uh, Miss Audrey Edwards called, um, is it American Runaway in Paris? American Runaway Black and Free free in in Paris in in the the Trump Trump Years. Yes. yes. And so welcome, Miss Audrey. Yes, thank welcome, Miss Audrey you, Edwards. I'm thank delighted you for to joining be here. Us. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Yes. This book resonated with me so hard. Um I loved every second of it. I haven't quite finished reading it. Um, but I know that you are an accomplished journalist and author who has actually authored six other books. Um but I imagine that the process of writing this book was a little bit different. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, let me say, Monique, first of all, a real book is en route to you as it is to Karen. <laughs> um, my dear friend, Joe Lowry, should be getting two copies this week, one of <laughs> which is for you. Thank you. You're I very appreciate welcome. that. You're very welcome. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, I did not set out to write a book just as I did not set out to be a runaway. Mm. I did start saying in 2016 when Donald Trump announced that he was running for president, I just started Mm. saying, if this guy gets in, I'm out of here. (laughs) Not thinking for a minute that I would have to leave. Right. I know that's right. Mm. I mean, that was just, you know, incomprehensible. Right. But he did win. Mm-hmm. I have always loved Paris, but more to the point for me, I have always had friends in Paris. Mm-hmm. My college roommate married a Frenchman. She's been in Paris for 30 years, raised her children there, is fluent in French. And like mm-hmm. Karen in 27, 2007, I thought I would like to retire to Paris. Right. So I actually tried it out. I lived with my roommate, Joe, who by then mm-hmm. was divorced, had a huge four-bedroom apartment. I mm. took one of the rooms, <laughs> lived in the city for three months, met people, had a wonderful time. But the fact of the matter is, Europe had just converted to the Euro system. And ah. at that time, 
I couldn't afford to be here. Gotcha. The euro against the dollar was something, or the dollar against the euro was something like 160. Mm. And we're almost there again. Well, we're almost there again. I don't know. I mean, I still do business in euros, and it's not nearly as bad as it was in 2007. I would go to the cash machine and take out 200 euros, and Citibank would deduct my account $360. Oof. And <laughs> that's quite a difference. But if yeah. we don't do something in November, we might be right back there. Yes, again. I know. That's what I'm saying. I know, Karen. That is my biggest fear. That is my that, biggest fear. That actually brings me to, um, in the beginning of your book, in the second chapter, you shared a quote um, that said, in some decades, nothing, nothing happens. And then in some weeks, decades happen. Yes, that's a quote from Lenin. That really hit me hard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Can you, <laughs> especially uh, considering these last few weeks or months um, just now? Yes. Um, yes. So yes. What's, I, how have you been doing with, with current events and the news and everything that's happening now since well, the end of I your will, book? Yeah, I will tell you, I am reeling this morning from the shooting 12 mm. times in the back of a young father in Wisconsin in front of his three children Mm -hmm. by policemen. He survived, but he will probably be paralyzed for the rest Mm -hmm. of his life. And his children will certainly be traumatized for the rest of their life. They were three, five, and eight years old. Mm. And I had to turn off CNN, and I said to myself, if Donald Trump is reelected, I will be leaving America for good. Ooh. And I've never been the type to say anything like that. I've never been the type to say I want to leave America. I mean, there are many right. expats, as you know, living in Paris who did leave. I was right. not part of that group mm-hmm. before Donald Trump. And uh, if you leave for good, where, where do you think you would head? Would you come back to Paris? Oh, back or? to Paris. Absolutely. <laughs> I have an apartment there waiting for me. I have not seen it, but I'm going to hold on to it and I'm going to find a way to get back. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> well, you know, Audrey, you you talk about white privilege in the book through three different white men who are very different, uh, or maybe not. Uh, Don the Con or Donald Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> I like Don the Con better. Yeah, or the Dome, the Dome, Maurice. I call it the Godfather, the Dome. Yes. <laughs> and then you also talk about white privilege through uh, someone you know here that you call Maurice. Yeah. And then you also reference uh, the president here, Macron. Yes. Who, to some degree, also represents white privilege. Yes. Uh, yes. Talk about the thread between. Their, the, the lens of white privilege between those three white men. What I have always liked about Paris, France, and Europe in general, but France in particular, is that race is not the undercurrent running through everything. Mm. In America, it is the undercurrent running through everything. Yeah. From how, and, and it really takes a mental, I believe, and spiritual toll on the population. If everything is filtered through race, 
your entire world view becomes filtered through race. And I believe that's damaging. And what I say about Macon and what I say about Maurice is that these are European men who are of privilege, but in their interactions, they rise above race. And the example I give with Macon is how he treated the young illegal immigrant from Mali who saved the little boy, four-year-old boy who was dangling from a balcony in 2018. He met him, he invited him to the palace to thank him in Mm -hmm. person. And within 30 days, McCone made sure he was a citizen and had a job. Yep, I remember that. That was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was symbolic, but it said everything about how the French view of humanity differs from the American view. Mm. A month after that, a young brother in Tennessee saved people in a Waffle House at dawn when a madman burst in with an assault rifle and killed 12 people. This man, John Shaw, grabbed the gunman, wrested the rifle away from him. He was shot in the process. Uh, He didn't hear anything from Trump. No phone call to thank him. Nothing. But it also speaks to the violence that is always a part of American life. Because Americans have the right to bear arms, which means you have the right to carry guns and shoot people. And shoot people, Mm -hmm. which is what Americans do. Yeah. You touched on that a little bit in the book about how it, it, it does, and I feel it too, it makes a really big difference when you're walking around knowing that nobody has a gun. Exactly. And if they don't have a gun, they don't think in violent terms in ways mm. of solving problems or just interacting. You know, and I give an example of being on the street in the neighborhood of a friend of mine. It's a neighborhood a lot like Harlem. And you have the hustlers and you have the mm-hmm. folks coming up, you know, hitting you up for money. But mm-hmm. they are never malicious. They are never threatening. They're actually yeah. kind of charming. Of course. And I'm probably more aggressive when I say, look, I don't speak no French. <laughs> <laughs> and they just go, oh, Madame, speak it, speak it. Yeah, (laughs) I try not to say anything to those guys because like you said in the book, also a lot of them also speak English. Yes. Right? So if you say anything, they'll just jump in. Yeah, I don't have this in the book, but I have a young designer friend, biracial friend in Paris, and we were in little Africa getting a jumpsuit made for me that she had designed. Mm -hmm. And we're walking past these two brothers sitting on a fence, and she's cute, and they go, hi! (laughs) <laughs> we, we didn't say anything. And then they said it again. Hi. <laughs> so we spoke. And I said, Tatiana, in my country, if we walk past two dudes like these guys and didn't mm-hmm. speak, one of them or both of them would say, well, well what, what? You got an attitude? You think you're too good to speak? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's so changes, violent. It changes the dynamic. It really does. Yeah. And the yeah. quality of your life. Yeah. That's how I feel. So, so Audrey, let me bring you back around to Maurice, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this is probably a good place to talk a little bit about Maurice. You bring up in the book. Yes. And guess who's coming to, to lunch? lunch? 
so younger self that's a reference to a, a Sydney Portier yeah. <laughs> movie uh guess who's coming to dinner uh and Sydney Portier showed up with uh Catherine um oh I can't even remember Hepburn? her name Catherine Hepburn, Catherine Holt, Spencer Tracy's old daughter. Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movie, Catherine Hepburn movie, but Catherine Holton played the young white girl, Mm. who I believe was engaged to Sidney Poitier in real life. No, in the movie. Okay, in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They did get engaged, and they were announcing it. Right. But but now tell us about his mama and lunch. Okay. The title, Guess Who's Coming to Lunch, is a playoff on Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which is really a movie looking at an interracial love relationship. Mm-hmm. Maurice, my landlord, invited me to meet his mother. Now, you know, in our culture, when you go to meet somebody's mama, it's a big deal. Of course. Yeah. And I'm like, why is this guy inviting me to meet his mother? He's my landlord, which I must say, he always objected to me saying, and that's another interesting (laughs) thing about the French. He always took great issue with that. And I would say, well, why? You are my landlord. He says, no, we're friends. We're friends. (laughs) And he's trying to be a little more than that. He's trying to be a little more than that. But we got through that. So he had been telling me about this mother who was 92 and she's ill and she's frail and I don't know why she's not eating and she's not sleeping. And I'm envisioning this woman, you know, lying under the canopy, you know, barely existing. Right. Woman opens the door who's thin but very stylish, had nails as manicured as mine. Um, And I'm like, this woman is fabulous. (laughs) <laughs> what, what is he talking about? Now, I think part of it is just the son, you know, uh-huh. having a mother that he knows her days are numbered and he's very concerned. But it was such a comment to me on not so much from Maurice, but just who the French are. Mm. You know, elegant, stylish, gracious. The apartment was large and rambling and very comfortable and very well appointed. Um, The family had spent time in Washington, D.C. because Maurice's father was a director with the International Monetary Fund. Right. So they were pretty well off, well-traveled, well-spoken. Maurice is fluent in English. The mother, not so much, because I'm sure she was pretty much a housewife, you know, Mm -hmm. really out and about. But the point that what I realized, he invited me to lunch just because he wanted me to meet his mama. Right. <laughs> no, hid, no hidden agenda. <laughs> like there was no race, yeah. race things the, involved at all. Right. And the mother, unlike the Catherine Hepburn character, did not blink an eye when he shows up with this tall, chocolate-colored American. <laughs> she did not and that's how it was like, you're my son's friend. Hey, that's good enough for me. Wow. How did, I mean, was that like a really big shock that there was nothing else behind it? Yes. And I, I can't say shock. She was cool. And the longer I was there, I just got comfortable. And I realized this is just a nice way to spend a rainy afternoon. Yeah. And mm. everybody is cool. So I had to get cool, too. So, so those kind of moments where I would just say, wait a minute, nobody else is coming from race mm. or racial assumptions or racial prejudices. The French don't really 
it's not to say they're not prejudiced. It's not to say they're not racist, but they mm-hmm. don't lead with that. Yeah. That's not so, been my experience. I can only speak to my experience. So, younger yeah. self, if you get an invitation for lunch to go meet <laughs> a French man's mama, uh, don't get ahead of yourself. French men don't, don't like yourself. me. And you I'm better not come dating fly and have friend. your nails manicured. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Audrey, I've known you for quite some time. We go back to having worked yes, together at Essence Magazine. Yes. And that sisterhood that we enjoyed there was probably a bubble that not many professional women get to enjoy, which is to work with other professional Black women. Absolutely. And it, in yep. the book, I, I feel that Essence thread as you have connected with other Black women who may not see themselves as runaways, but are runaways to Paris for varying reasons mm-hmm. and for many, many years. Um, yeah. And so just talk a little bit about the sisterhood in France. What I like about the sisterhood in France is that it's global. Mm. It, at essence, we were Black Americans. Mm with a particular experience rooted in America. Mm -hmm. In Paris, you have women from Senegal. You have women from Haiti. You have women like Kathleen Dameron, originally from East St. Louis. So you have women who what we have in common may be skin color, but we are diverse in our worldview. We're diverse in our religions. We're diverse in our language. The designer friend that I talked about is biracial. Her mother is Ivorian. Her father is German. She had a particular experience as a biracial woman being raised in Germany for the most part. She was pretty much raised by her father. So her issues about being biracial have to do with being recognized as African. She identifies as African, but she talked about in her own family, she has siblings who say, well, you had privilege because you grew up in Europe. Not so much that you had a white father, but you had a European experience. Mm -hmm. So that diversity of sisterhood is different from the sisterhood, Karen, you and I experienced at Essence. Yeah, I've, I have, you know, uh, sort of begun to be a part of that network and circle. And it is different. Um, it's refreshing. Uh, and I think, mm-hmm. I, I don't know at another point in my life if I would have been ready to embrace it in the same way. Mm. Yes. But uh, yes. it has, particularly with everything that has happened since I've been here, the, the strike, the pandemic, you know, all of the things mm-hmm. that are happening in the States. <laughs> I think it was, it really helped. I mean, we were doing these uh, Zoom calls on Sundays for, for an yes, hour. Yes, I participated in a couple of them. And yes. it really yes. helped. I mean, I looked forward to them, right? Because mm-hmm. it was a situation where people understood without my explaining what I was going through, right? Because mm-hmm. they were going through right. the same kinds of things. Um, right, right. You know, and and Karen, I, what I found, and I don't know if you found it yet, there is still an admiration for Black Americans. Absolutely. And the French really have always exhibited that. There is an appreciation for our struggle, for what we have overcome. 
and for the our ability to still create art, our ability to still be inventive, to still have a kind of energy that the French have always admired. And I think that includes Blacks in the diaspora as well. Yeah. You know, um, that brings me to an interesting point or question, I guess. Um, in your chapter, Hear No Evil, See No News, you talk a lot about the, the, media. the well, the, the media, but also like running, like being an American runaway, but also knowing people who have had to run away from their countries for different reasons. Yes. Um, yes. And, yes. and that really resonated with me because I too have been in conversations with people and they just don't get it when I try to explain to them what is so horrible in, you know, the quote unquote greatest country in the earth right yes. now. Like what is so horrible yes. that you would need to leave? And so my, what do you say to people in the moment? Like, how do you explain that to them? Or do you even try? You know, I'll tell you, Monique, I have not had those conversations per se, <laughs> but I would say, I would tell them that oppression takes various forms. Mm. And when you talk about oppression, for the most part, people think it's that wrenching rank. I don't have enough food. Yeah. My child could be shot in a right. war. What they aren't taking into account is a mental and kind of spiritual oppression mm. where you feel weighted down by the burden of mm -hmm. race because you live in a country where your race, your very being, has become a burden. Where you walk into any public place and don't know how you're going to be received yeah. because of your mm. race. That takes another kind of toll. But what I understand about people who don't get it, that's perceived as a first world problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend, a male friend who's Trinidadian and he's done very well. He's wealthy. And we will talk about our little angst. You know, <laughs> I spent $300 for sunglasses and I feel guilty. <laughs> and we go, these are first world problems. Mm, yeah. And that's different. That's different. And, and it's why, and I'm very honest by saying I had to stop watching the international news because I didn't identify. Uh. I just didn't identify. I identify with the brother who just got shot 12 times in the Right. Morning. Now that's rank oppression yeah. too. And I don't worry that that's going to happen to me. But I identify with that. I have a son. I have a black son. Right. He's in law enforcement. That doesn't mean he's going to be immune right. from being shot. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of toll I'm responding to. I and I knew it would be greater under Donald yeah. Trump. I knew it was just going to be a new day. <laughs> and not a good day. Not a good day for <laughs> what are you? I can't even call that a day. Let's just call that a midnight because we are like blacked yes. out here. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to ask. So, oh, yeah, and I have friends here, Monique. I have friends here who didn't get it. I have a whole chapter that talks about an insult in a private club I belong yeah, to. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and the people I was with, two of them were not American-born. They love America. Right. They came to America because of oppression in their country. So one of them was always saying, well, I'm never going to leave America. Right. You don't have to. Your experience is different. Do 
And then we have people who just get defensive. They get uncomfortable with the in-your-face declaration of, I am not going to put up with this if I don't have to. Yeah. And they say things like, oh, the French are racist, too. <laughs> as if, as if. It is different. It is different. Yeah, and it, and it, but it's almost as if, well, you shouldn't run because they're racist, too. And they don't understand what it is I'm leaving. They really don't. And and I don't really try to explain that. It's like trying to talk to a Trumpster. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to try to talk them out of supporting Trump. It's impossible. Yeah, I can identify with that, that... uh like, where do you run to? And I mean, France, for me, Paris was pretty much the only answer that I could also come up with. And it's the life has been good here. It's a little difficult to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than a little difficult to watch the news uh, back home and um, and 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 compare that with my life here when I'm just hanging out at a cafe, having a good yes. old time, you know, yes. riding yes. my bicycle yes. around, you know, the Eiffel Tower uh right it's, it's weird because you still identify america as yeah. home just single. and i found that the american expat whether black or white were the most political of the folk that i met <laughs> because it is home and you're looking at this forum yeah. from a farm dumpster fire and having reactions this, this is the motherland yeah. <laughs> what's going on you know, and, and I, I've always admired the expats in Paris because they're always organizing. You know, Reed Kennedy is always doing something around voting and protesting. And, you know, people are very, very political, very vocal and very upset. Yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. Over what's happening. And there may be an element of guilt. You are riding around the Eiffel Tower on your bicycle, having a yeah. good time <laughs> and being affirmed by the French. Being affirmed. Yeah. I, I, I you know, do feel guilty, we, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but we, we get, get over it. We have a croissant. <laughs> yeah, because we, we, only got, we only got one life. We only got one life. And make the most Yolo. of it. Make the most of it. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, uh, how, how are your news consumption habits at the moment? They are stronger than they were when I was in Paris. Okay. Because it's more immediate. Yeah. Um, I did a piece for Sisters AARP on the protest marching that occurred right after the George Floyd mm-hmm. killing because the Brooklyn protesters were walking by my window mm. every day. I would hear the cowbell and I would hear the roar of male voices and I would run to the window and here's thousands of people marching by. Wow. So I was in it, even if I, even right. if I didn't want to be. Right. So it's more immediate. It's more immediate because I'm here. I'm not, I'm not 3,600 miles away. Right. I was going to ask you about that. You're in New York now. Yes. Yes. And glad to be. Can I tell you I'm glad to be in yeah. New York? Because right now it is the safest state in this pandemic. Okay. Who would have thought? Who would have ever thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> but it's all driven by state leadership since we have none at the national mm-hmm. level. And we had a brilliant, wonderful governor. Yeah. Now, I can't speak to what he did as governor. I can only speak to the fact that he saved mm-hmm. us during a pandemic mm-hmm. and proved to the world and to the country that if you follow simple rules, what was the epicenter in two months right. 
can have a flattened curve. Yeah. Provable. It's not fake news. <laughs> it's provable. No, there's nothing, nothing fake or faux about that at all. No, no, <laughs> but no. You, so I'm glad to be here, but I'm very upset to be stuck yeah. here. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, Audrey, I remember probably the my visit, uh, maybe two or three visits back to Paris when I kind of, um, you were here. And it, it mm-hmm. was when I met Joe, your roommate from college. Right. Um, and right. we actually connected at AUP, you know, where younger self is a graduate student. And, uh, right, because and Joe I'm hanging worked out. At AUP. Uh, and I, that was where I first picked up the brochure to really look at AUP and begin to sort of think about my exit strategy, my runaway uh, to retirement, because I wanted to do something different. And I wanted to put some distance between me and the temptation to not retire. And so right. it's been amazing and wonderful. I mean, you know, I know you are a closer in terms of you start something and you get it done. Um, but <laughs> you too, Karen. You yeah, too. and I'm, I'm and stick a fork in me, honey, because I am so done. <laughs> I don't even want to start anything, not even an argument. So I am done. <laughs> But uh, to, to sort of have been there in the beginning when you were, uh, when this was a concept, <laughs> unfortunately a reality, and you were, you know, starting the process. So now that you are, it, the book is completed, it's published, it is soon to be distributed, and uh, uh, advanced copies are still available. It's coming out September 7th. And we are looking down the barrel of November 3rd when we have a chance. Uh, we have a really, as, as Michelle Obama said, we must vote like our life depends on it because mm-hmm. it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our lives, yeah, our children's lives, and my grandson's lives. So mm-hmm. that's absolutely. what that means for absolutely. me. But what do you hope this book or how do you hope this book will influence that outcome? You know, Karen, I did not, it, it's funny because I have a producer doing a live streaming show and she pre-interviewed me and she talked about, you know, um, how did you come to do the book? I didn't run to Paris expecting to do a book. It's something that evolved. I did a piece for the Huffington Post and it got such reaction that I thought, well, I'm here. I need to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, being retired, Karen, you know this, being retired doesn't mean you do nothing. <laughs> not not even so, close. Um, <laughs> right, right. So that became the genesis. And I think for me, I didn't have a political agenda in terms of what I wanted people to come away mm-hmm. with. I think I wanted to show a particular experience. I'm an older Black woman. People put limitations in America anyway on race. Mm-hmm. They try to put limitations on mm-hmm. age. They try to put limitations on gender. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to kind of create a portrait of a woman who was no longer in her 20s, but fortunately still had her health and had some economic resources. And, and it's and pretty fine make... for a gal in that uh, <laughs> Well, thank you. But you know what? I mean, the thing about... <laughs> but you know, but the thing is, Karen, about Black women, and this is true the world over, <laughs> Good black really don't. Hey, it really doesn't. Yeah. Amen. And for Amen. women 
of our generation and our economic class, because that's also very important. We shouldn't, you know, shy away from talking about that. If you have certain resources, you can just take better care of mm. yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, it's, and it's not the superficial getting the hair done and the nails done, but you get the physical exams. You, you do, you work out, you know the things you need to do to stay in shape to live longer, better lives. And for me, part of that living a longer, better life was getting out of America. Yes. Agreed. You know, I mean, I eat better in France. The first time, when I, 2007, I came back, uh, I don't know, after three months, I had lost eight pounds. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm drinking wine. (laughs) What a great way to lose weight. But it's better food. It's just better. All the fresh food markets. And the other thing, and, and I, I don't want to not mention, because I think it's so important, the French health care mm-hmm. system. The chapter I did on the French health care system, the French saved this old lady's life. Mm. Really? When I could not get my high blood pressure medication. Chapter called, The French Will Not Let You Die. <laughs> there was a medication I couldn't get. I was hanging out with some guys drinking too much, had a headache that I thought was an impending stroke, which it probably was because my blood pressure had shot up to 190 over 110. (laughs) Joe took me to a pharmacy. The little blonde girls, the pharmacist, took my blood pressure. Horrified, they went in the back room. I saw them putting together something that approximated the medication. Wow. They had looked at the vial. I guess they saw the formula. They put together something. 30 pills, six euros. Wow. They said, take this every day for five days. Come back. We will take your blood pressure again. They did. It was down 50 points in five days. Two things I realized in that experience. One, they were not going to let me leave the pharmacy with my blood pressure as high as it uh-huh. was. Two, even if I could not have afforded the six euros, they were going to give it to me. I had no prescription, no insurance, couldn't speak French. They had never seen me before in life. You are not leaving here with your pressure about to stroke you wow. out. Well, it's a good thing you weren't at CBS or Dwayne Reed, because it would have been <laughs> oh, a honey, whole I've different those, story. Oh, no. Uh, Karen, I've had those experiences where I was told on my way back to Paris, oh, it's not time for your prescription to be filled. So we're not filling it. Yeah, yeah. I've had that happen any number of times. I had a girlfriend go off in a pharmacy. She was older. I think the pharmacist told her her prescription was $48. She stood in the middle of the pharmacy and screamed, I can't afford it. I said, what happened? She said he cut the price in half. Well, it seems like this might be a good place for us to snap this conversation and this episode with you, Audrey, Miss Runaway, uh, to to a close. But uh, let me give you and younger self the opportunity to just make some closing statements about the conversation today. I would love to just say thank you for writing this book and for talking to us today. Um, And I hope that you're able to make it back to Paris safely. I'd love to take you out for a coffee. 
Oh, I would love that. And I want to thank both you and Karen, Monique and Karen. Thank you so much. I mean, I just love the Paris community. I really do. And I miss it. I miss it very, very much. So I am hoping and praying that I will see you both very soon. in yes. Paris. Very, very <laughs> soon. A tutelaire, very, very my friend. <laughs> A Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. See thank you soon. You. All right. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir.